Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. And welcome to you all as we um, continue our series this morning, Everyone Together, with our focus this morning on this topic of everyone following Jesus. Glad to have you with us, and uh, those of you who are with us online, uh, we're very glad to have you with us as well, wherever you are, preferably in another country where it's not 43 degrees as it is uh, here today, but wherever you are, you're welcome. A year or so ago, I started my car, and a warning light appeared on my dash. There it is, that is in fact the warning light, that is my dash, check tire pressure. And so I read that and I thought, ooh, I better check my tire pressure. (laughs) And so I did and the tire pressure was fine, so I thought, oh well, it's just a computer glitch. And I mentioned it to my mechanic and he did some kind of a reset. But still, uh, a short time later, the warning light reappeared, check tire pressure. So over time, I've learned to simply live with the warning light (laughs) and ignore it. Uh, I see it every time I start the car. And uh, conveniently, there's a button I can press to turn the light off. Well, you might be able to see where this is going. A couple of weeks ago, as I uh, went to get into my car, I I thought, gee, those tyres look a bit flat. I better check that. And I did, and sure enough, both the front tyres were alarmingly flat. You know, they're supposed to be 32 PSI or something like that. Well, they were both, the front tyres, both down to 10 PSI. (laughs) Something I rectified immediately as I filled my tyres, restoring them to the right pressure. But what I want to suggest this morning is that when it comes to the language we use in our church here in particular, most churches, this language of following Jesus, it can be a bit like that warning light in my car that is designed to prompt me to act. The language of following Jesus is something that should constantly lead us to action, the action of following Jesus. But the danger is that we become so familiar with the language that it no longer prompts us to action, no longer spurs us on to make the necessary decisions we need to make and the actions we need to take to align ourselves with Jesus and his ways. Before we know it, our spiritual tires are flat and we become spiritually then vulnerable either to apathy or to attack. So a good question for us to ask ourselves this morning is, am I actively following Jesus? Am I actively following Jesus day by day, moment by moment? In the language that John Bond used last week, as people read the gospel of my life, I love that he talked about four gospels, actually there's five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and then your, the gospel of your life. As people read the gospel of my life, your life, as they observe the way I live, the way I speak, the way I interact with others, do they see Jesus? 
or do they see someone who just blends seamlessly into the environment and the society around them with no difference? Does my relationship with Jesus radically affect my behaviour and my choices and my attitudes or has my spiritual life become something like the check engine light in my car that I basically ignore to my own detriment? You see, from a New Testament perspective, the Christian life involves radical transformation in every way. And so for the New Testament writers, it would seem that the world is divided very clearly, actually, into two different groups, those who are following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus. And I might suggest in our context of our Western society, sometimes what we see is a blurring of those lines because there are people who claim to be Christian, but actually whose lives, as you look at their lives, their lives tell a different story, a different gospel. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Am I actively following Jesus or am I basically just living my life and getting on with my life and then adding in a bit of occasional spiritual input on a Sunday morning? Well, let's take a look at what Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 3. Our reading for this morning, it's um, from verses 4, the second half of verse 4 to 14. Let me read it. These are the words of Paul. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This is Paul reflecting on his own life. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, brothers and sisters. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs> What a passage that is. So what we see in this passage is just a clear past, present, and future focus, which we're going to look at more closely. And uh, following Jesus firstly involves giving him your past. And in this passage, Paul casts his mind back over his past. He gives us a bit of a summary of uh, where he's come from in his life. 
and he does so in terms of his, his cultural and his spiritual heritage as well as his various achievements. And you might observe that the list actually is an impressive one. What we discover is that Paul, who was Saul prior to his encounter with Jesus, is a pretty impressive person in every way. From an ancient Jewish perspective, he was born in the right family. He was born uh, in the right family line. And then through his life, he maximized his influence through his own hard work and achievement. He was, if you like, a classic self-made man, a success story, a figure of high reputation, high community standing. He would have been one of these people in the his society, wider society, who was known as he walked through the streets. People would have kind of acknowledged him. Oh, we know, we know who you are. He was an important person. And even down to zealously persecuting the church, that was a, a tick on his resume, not a black mark. Because as far as most people in society were concerned, he was doing the world a favour by eradicating this uh, dangerous, uh, radical Christian sect. So in a church like ours here at Mount Pleasant, let me suggest there'd be many of you who would be able to relate to Saul. You might cast your mind back over your own past and think... Gee, I've done pretty well. I've done pretty well for myself. I live at a good, good address, drive a nice car. Uh, perhaps you might think, well, I'm really sort of at or close to the top of my game. I've, I've really worked my way up. I've come a long way. I have a long list of achievements. Perhaps as you look back over your life, you might also think, well, I've, actually, I've done a pretty good job relationally as well. You know, I've, uh, I've got a good solid marriage. I've got kids that are doing well. Now I've got grandkids who are excelling in everything that they do. Uh, we all like to think that our grandchildren are exceptional, don't we? Oh, my grandkids, yeah, they're actually, there's something special over and above. And those are great things. And, uh, you know, if that's... You this morning, as you look back, let me say, well done. You know, congratulations on all that you've achieved and worked hard for. It's, uh, it's wonderful. But this is where Paul says something unexpected. As he casts his mind back over his achievements and the prestige of his past, the fine reputation that he's actually worked hard to, uh, to form and develop and maintain, he says all those things that seem like assets, they seem like gains, they seem like positives, they seem like good things. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I consider them losses, actually. I consider them negatives, liabilities. I put them on the other side of the ledger. In fact, as has often been preached, Paul uses this very strong language that the NIV here translates garbage, but could also be translated excrement. I consider them dung. You might think of another word. I can't think of any other words. <laughs> it's at that level of something offensive, 
seems a bit extreme, but what Paul is saying is anything that has caused me to swell up with pride, anything as I look back to my past, anything that I've used to bolster my own sense of importance and my value as a person or my standing in the community in comparison to others in the pecking order of life, anything I consider along that way, it's all rubbish. It's rubbish. It's excrement. It's dung compared to the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And so what I do then is I give my past to Jesus. I give it over to him. I no longer rely on that to bolster my sense of, of who I am and my worth as a person. I give it to Jesus. I no longer find my identity or my value in those past achievements. Well, equally well, you might cast your mind back over your past and see something of a trail of destruction. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're not one of those high-flying, you know, bankers or something. You might have all sorts of regrets and failures and disappointments. Perhaps as you look back, you'd say, actually, my life hasn't panned out in the way that I would have liked it to pan out. Maybe if you had your time again, you'd do things a little differently. Well, you know, for you too, the invitation to follow Jesus is a wonderful invitation to give him your past. It's a wonderful thing. As you cast your mind over your past, where there is pride in all that has gone well, Paul's encouragement would be to let that go and give it to Jesus. Let it go. Don't rely on that. And equally, where there's shame, where there's failure, where there's embarrassment and disappointment, you can also let go of your past and give it to Jesus. You see, for Paul, his encounter with Jesus was it was like it's this, this clear marker in his life, a marker of grace and forgiveness that gave him a fresh start, enabling to leave his past behind. And you know what? By the grace of God, you can do the same, the very thing. Leave your past behind. Give it to Jesus. Not only are we to give Jesus our past, then secondly, we're also encouraged to trust Jesus with our present. Some of you might know that um, Margie and I were uh, recently called to Adelaide following the passing of uh, Margie's brother, Margie's older brother, Steve. Just a few weeks ago. And it was my honour to conduct the funeral. And uh, so in the days leading up to the funeral, we were in Adelaide and I was particularly um, attentive to what people were saying about Steve, um, hoping, I suppose, to just you know, pick up some Comments, I mean, I knew Steve well myself, but pick up some comments from others, some perspective of others of how he was perceived, so that I could quote some of those in summarising his life at the funeral. One person outside the family said this. She said to me, you know, Steve was the very definition of a good man. How's that for a summary of your life? I thought it was Wonderful. As I listened, you know, others were saying things like, you know, he was a man of faith, uh, he was a man of God, he was a man who absolutely devoted himself 
to uh, his wife and his family, his children, his uh, 12 grandchildren. And I knew Steve well enough to know all those things were absolutely true. Got me thinking, if I were to die today, hopefully not, but if I were to die today, what summarising phrases might people come up with to summarise my life? What about you? If you were to die today, whatever age you are, what, what are the sorts of things? How would people describe you? And more to the point, how would you want them to describe you? What are the things that you would be hoping that they would say about you as a person? It bears some thinking about. Well, in this passage, as Paul shifts his focus to the present, he uses some phrases that sum up his own new life in Christ. And most notably, he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Yes, he says, yes. The power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. This is, in a sense, Paul would say, a summarising statement of my life. This is the meaning of life. This is what my life is really all about. It boils down to this. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Earlier in the letter to the Philippians, Paul says, for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Either way, it's like a, my whole scenario here is a win-win. If I live, it's all about Jesus. If I die, well, that's, another, that's gain. That's all for the better. To live is Christ to die as gain. So for Paul, this is a single-minded focus of his life. Everything else takes a back seat by comparison. Everything else takes a back seat. You'll be very familiar with the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where Jesus says to his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God. Make this the first thing that you do with your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're worried about. They'll all, they'll all take care of themselves. They'll all be added unto you. I love the message translation of this verse that says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. There's a wonderful sense of urgency and immediacy about that. What is God doing right now? Whatever your circumstances are today, right now, let me remind you that God knows about that. He knows about your concerns. He knows about your worries, your trouble, the anxiety in your heart. And he's present with you in the midst of what you're going through. And more than that, as you trust him in the present, as you trust him in the midst of what you're in the middle of right now, as you follow Jesus in the present, there are things that God wants to show you about himself and about yourself. Ways he wants to form you more into his likeness. See, Paul... He's just got this extraordinary grasp of the big picture. He knows that God has this overall master plan for his life, a plan that has him on this clear and certain trajectory of following Jesus all the way to glory. But he understands that this pathway will include some suffering. And this is often something that's not talked about, in, certainly in some churches. We don't talk about that because we want to deny that there's suffering because we're, you know, victorious. We are victorious and there is suffering. 
This is kind of counterintuitive. But Paul says, I want to understand what it means to somehow participate in the sufferings of Christ. What a statement that is. Uh, this is what Paul wants. This is what his life is. I want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. There's a wonderful verse in Romans 5. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, we rejoice. We glory. We rejoice. We glory in our sufferings. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we all, do we? I don't know if we do. I don't know if I do. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Give Jesus your past. Trust him with your present. And number three is press on to the future. You know, following Jesus always has this very strong future aspect and as together we look forward to the glorious future that the Lord has in store for us, there's a lot to look forward to. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And you notice here that the language Paul uses is one of great exertion of effort. There's a striving, there's a straining, a sense of pushing himself that somehow seems to contradict the emphasis of the gospel that we're saved by grace and not by effort. What's all this effort you're talking about, Paul? And this is where it's vitally important that we get things in the right order because they can easily get out of order, even in the lives of deeply devoted followers of Jesus. A lot of people have a deep-seated drivenness in their lives. Uh, they're driven by all sorts of things, driven by greed, driven by ambition, driven by the allure of success, driven by the desire for reward or for affirmation from others, driven by insecurity. What about this one? Driven by an underlying parental subtext that says, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not tough enough. You don't have what it takes. I doubt you're ever going to make it. And so, so many people live their lives in reaction to that parental subtext with an underlying, even subconscious of attitude of, well, I'll show you. I'll show you. I, I am going to make it. I will make it. I'll prove myself. I'll prove my worth to you. And unwittingly, I'll try and discover my worth in my achievements and my success, my value by my sheer determination and discipline and hard work. And so in the face of that, the gospel says, you don't have to do that. The gospel says, stop that, actually. Cease your striving. As a result of the cross, you can receive the free impartation of the righteousness of Christ as a gift, a free gift. 
declaring you to be completely worthy, completely acceptable, completely righteous in Christ. You don't need to prove yourself to God. You don't need to earn his favour. You cannot earn his favour, his acceptance. And so you don't need to strive and drive yourself to convince God or convince others that you're okay. God says that because of the cross, as you come in faith, in humility and, and in repentance, you are accepted in Christ. You are okay in God's eyes. Well, now, if you understand that, the entire equation of life has changed because the very life of Christ is in me. Amen? And in you. And so as soon as I understand that, that truth, that deep truth that I am acceptable in Christ without doing anything and I don't need to strive to earn his acceptance, I cannot earn it, there's then a godly striving that flows very naturally and very beautifully out of acceptance. Does that make sense? I'm free, I'm completely free to strain and strive, as Paul does, to make every effort to pursue a life of godliness in preparation for what's to come. I'm free to do that. You know what? Try and stop me from doing that. Well, many of you know we have an enemy who will try and stop you and does try and stop you and he'll throw all manner of hurdles and barriers in your way. He'll use tactics of fear and intimidation and, in dis and discouragement. He'll throw health challenges your way, relational crises. He'll try and mess up your family. He'll cast doubts over your financial security and your future. And then if those things don't work, he'll change tack. And he may well give you great wealth and success. <laughs> or fame, or opportunities to travel and see the world. He'll give you all the comforts of life that will lull you into thinking that you don't need God. You've got it all and you've earned it all yourself through your own hard work. You don't need God. What do you need God for? Don't fall for the lies and schemes of the evil one. Recently here in Perth, there was a lady who received an inheritance, true story, just heard this the other day. She received an inheritance that was a mind-boggling amount of money. <laughs> it meant that she would never have to work again. In fact, what it meant was that her children, probably even her grandchildren, would never have to work again. So we're talking an inheritance of hundreds of millions of dollars that had come this lady's way. And on hearing this story, one person who she told the story to was, said to her, you know, that's great, but that's nothing compared to the inheritance that I have received in Christ. What a wonderful response. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith 
are shielded by God's power. 1 Peter 1, 4-7. Have a look at it sometime. Give Jesus your past, trust him with your present, and press on into the future, striving for all that God has for you in Christ. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, the one who walks with you through your journey of life and faith. You know, the Christian, life, the Christian faith is a personal faith. It requires an individual personal response. But once that response is made, the beautiful thing is that we don't follow Jesus alone. You don't follow Jesus by yourself. We follow him together. And as we do, we discover his plan for us together as we submit to him and look to him. We help one another. We encourage one another. We spur one another on. We're going to have opportunity to share in communion in just a moment. If you um, want to participate in our time of communion, you didn't receive the elements as you came in, didn't receive them, maybe just raise a hand and our ushers is coming forward right now and they'll be glad to um, pass you one. Maybe don't... Maybe don't do that. Don't, maybe don't open them just yet. Just, just hold it in your hand. Some of you are still doing it. <laughs> just before we go and come to communion, yeah, just hold those in your hand, just quietly, yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, as we come to communion, I, this is a, um, I just want to give us a few minutes. And um, the reason I'm asking you not to fiddle with those things, because I'm going to suggest we do this actually in complete quietness, just in silence. And just focus for a moment on that question, how are my spiritual tyres? Just think back to that earlier analogy. Are my spiritual tyres flat or are they actually filled with the air of the Spirit of God, use that analogy, um, or I just become a bit complacent. And in the context of that, just uh, consider my message this morning, the message from Paul, about the past and about where I'm at at the present and then what I'm looking forward to in the future. And maybe there's one aspect of today's message that it's going to be helpful for you just to take a couple of minutes to say, I actually need to bring to the Lord either some pride that I have in the past or some shame and just bring, and so I'm just going to focus on that. Maybe you've got some things in the present right now that you think, wow, I'm just actually facing some stuff right now today that is challenging for me. And so I want to bring that to the Lord and seek to follow him in that. Or maybe your past is, you feel like you've dealt with stuff. You're walking with the Lord now and you want to just focus on, Lord, what are you, where are you leading me from here as I look forward to glory? and heaven and uh, all that you have in store for me, the inheritance that I have. Maybe you want to bring that to the Lord. Let's just take literally just two minutes and uh, spend this time with the Lord in the quiet. Jesus is Lord of your past. He's Lord of your present. He's Lord over your future. And for those who come to him in faith, your past, present and future are sealed in a covenant that Jesus made with his own blood, his own body. So as we now come to a time of sharing in that covenant, now's a great time for you to mess around with those little things.
quite musical. Perhaps we can have some background music now. On the night Jesus was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, he took bread with his disciples, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this morning, if you would count yourself as a follower of Jesus, regardless of whether you think you're doing a great job at it or not, Jesus invites you to the table and he invites you to participate in the bread and in the cup and eat and drink in the very life of the goodness of God. Let's do that together as we share in communion this morning. Lord, we thank you for this journey that you have us on, a journey of faith, this journey of life, with all of its ups and downs, Lord, we give it all to you. Our past, our present, our future, we thank you for the wonderful enabling and equipping power of the Holy Spirit who is with us and never leaves us. Thank you for the promise of Jesus who said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, may we know your presence, not just here on a Sunday morning, but as we go into a fresh week. May we know, Lord, that you walk with us, that you follow us as we follow you. Guide us and lead us and continue to reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. We'll sing our final song together. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.